0: Behold, my name is Tom. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck.
1: I'm Justin. How's it going, guys?
2: I'm chilling. <laughs> Justin just got off the train, man. He's all right, man. He's
0: having his coffee. <laughs> I fucking hate the train.
2: <laughs> and tonight, uh, our special guest, um, by uh, by listener request, Mr. Adam Rotel is in the building. How you doing, Adam?
3: I'm doing good, and thanks for having me on again.
2: Yeah, uh, Adam, of course, um, was one of our very first guests when we did that Uh, gore artwork uh, themed uh, episode we had a long discussion about the use of real gore photography in album artwork and Adam uh, phoned in and we talked to Adam on the phone and we've gotten several requests to have Adam back for um, a proper in the hole in the studio interview and we got him for you thanks for coming down Adam Um, we appreciate it and uh, before we really get into the thick of things man let's ease in Adam how was your weekend man?
3: My, my weekend was pretty good. I, I finally moved into my fiancé's mother's house, uh, all settled in. Uh, I have a week of vacation coming up, so hopefully it'll be relaxing for once.
2: Awesome, man. Very nice. nice. You know you're a hardworking guy, man. Congratulations to you and your fiancé, man. Thank you. That's a, that's a good look,
1: man. Justin, how you doing, man? You gotta relax. You know that's the whole thing.
2: That, that's like I'm looking at you, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I hope Justin got to relax, man. I know you've been working a lot,
1: dude. It's funny. I have something like kind of gore related and train related, like you said, because oh, I'm starting, I'm starting this, uh, this page, right, or this social media page. It might be heavy hole related. It might not be, Allegedly. but it's just uh, bathrooms of the Long Island Railroad. Oh, oh no! And <laughs> yeah, some of yeah, some of these like really just make like some of the the most Ooh, gory yeah. album art kind of just look like kids playing in a playground mm. like how are you standing that way that far away from the toilet when you got to take a <laughs> shit like why is it why is there like this like forensic like splatter kind of spray all on the walls and stuff like that and the yeah, toilet's I mean. half broken so um Ugh. Ugh. it's it's my new passion my new uh and hopefully i'll get a million for it you new yeah. muse yeah
0: you got to get something else out of the whole uh you know four hundred dollars a month to go oh, yeah, those
1: services you got to make it work for you you know
2: jeez. making Jesus. me not regret my lie commute now talking about how much the train sucks man jeez
1: there's yeah that, that isolation is uh i i wish i miss and, it
2: and wasn't your train like a few minutes late tonight what was going on tonight man
1: oh tonight yeah tonight we uh <laughs> a little late for summer but they must have been barbecuing something uh Ugh. out in the tunnel there's uh some sort of track fire uh, walked down to the to the platform. Just had this burnt rat smell. Yeah, little you know plastic bags sprinkled in there. Little yeah. like you know bum foot. You know like some severed bum foot. Kinda Thanksgiving, like Thanksgiving coming early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> it was a, a colorful bouquet. A Agor-
2: gornacopia.
1: So um, copyright that
2: if it's not already a band. So yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> if
1: you're having a bad day, at least you didn't do that. <laughs> Smelly,
2: true. Smelly New York. Adam, what was the band? Smelly New York. Back in the day. Oh, that was uh, Bulge. Bulge. <laughs> Smelly New York.
3: Yeah, that was a Boston band. Yeah. So, of course, they had the song Bash in New York. Yeah, you got to take it to us, you know. That's fantastic. What,
0: uh, Tom? What were you doing, man? Uh, well, we are recording this the weekend, uh, the, the, the Monday after Halloween. Yeah, this is the Halloween hangover right yeah. now. Yeah. So. Right. Uh, uh, I got dressed up like a classic devil. Like uh, I got a onesie on. Oh, oh boy! With <laughs> like the little flap for your butt, like. A <laughs> I wish I had the flap for my butt because that's why I fucked up, man. I was out yeah. drinking, and you know how it is. Everyone's been out drinking. Yeah. You gotta pee all the time. Doing that with a onesie. I no, get why, no, 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 no. Yeah. I get why women take their friends to the bathroom now.
1: Just need I help. Yeah. I get it. You need help. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need a buddy, buddy system. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was me. It was, it was a great time, but uh, awesome. Yeah,
1: I awesome. saw you had that pointy yeah. little pitchfork. That's good <laughs> to you have Cute you. little devil. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, <was good. laughs> I have I, no regrets.
2: <laughs> I I did not dress up, man. I um I didn't dress up. I watched uh, the Howling, the 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 classic werewolf movie. Nice. Um, uh, an underrated in my opinion. Doesn't come up in conversation as much as it should when people talk about horror movies. Man, great werewolf movie and the werewolf genre. I feel like a little like you know in this day of like vampire. I know there was the Twilight thing. One of those whatever is that
0: movie? I, uh, the,
2: the The Howling. It's yeah. the, it's from the classic. Eight. Adam, you don't know the year offhand, do you?
3: It's uh, 1980.
2: Eight, it's right, <laughs> right off the bat, man. I yes. love Adam, man. Yeah, 1980. So it's right in there with your classic Friday the 13th and Freddy and all those guys. But it just doesn't doesn't get the credit, man. Such a dark movie, such a cre- crazy creepy. You know, a little bit of the corny special effects, but they were creepy back in the day, man. It's a great movie, The Howling, with, like, 11 million sequels. So many sequels. Like, literally, like, I got a DVD with, like, five and six on it. I'd wear three (laughs) three and four. Who knows? But, yeah, I watched The Howling, reorganized my bookshelf, all my true crime books, my classic literature, uh, you know, my Joey Ramone biography. Everything's in its place, man. It It was a good weekend, man. Something I came across, too... Um, rearranging these books and boxes and everything I had, man. Uh, I got like two, prob like they're probably like the size of, of like like twice the size of a shoebox. These storage cases I have, and they're filled with cassette tapes. And one of them is all Adam Rotella noise tapes, uh, projects, demos, four-track tapes, various projects we've recorded over the years. Um, so so uh, so 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 coincidental now that i got you right here in front of me adam man because we don't hang out as much as, as we used to we're going to get into all that man uh really great to have you on the podcast tonight to talk about all that man you are the founder you're the 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 gore noise godfather the founder of this subgenre people refer to as gore noise that's correct right
3: yeah i mean i wasn't exactly the first i found out but you know i i, I do get a lot of the credit and yeah, I mean, I'll get into that, but it was yeah, it was just, just crazy how it went from, like, nobody cared to, like, there was, like, 20,000 projects when I came out of A Drunken Blur. It was weird.
2: <laughs> it was Still crazy, weird. man. I, I saw it happen, too, and I'm like, wow. Um, but before we get into all that, man, because I know there's uh, there's kind of, you, you know, it's like the man behind the gore noise, man. People want to know uh, you have a cult following to your project. Some people are very fascinated with you, especially this day and age. Let's, let's go back man and this is obviously a little awkward because I've known you since we were teenagers I know your family we know each other very well um, so I'm just going to kind of pretend I don't know as much about you now for the listeners sake do you want to go back and maybe tell us a little bit just about um, growing up about your family uh, and what and, and what that experience was like and how that maybe molded you a little bit as, as much as you'd want to tell the listeners
3: I mean uh, you know I grew up in a I mean, yeah, it was it was it was a poor household, but you know, we always we always somehow had a really good Christmas though. And I remember, I was thinking about this before we we started. You know, I usually go back to yeah, I bought the Guns N' Roses tape when I was nine or ten. But I think it, I think like what, why I love recording so much. I was thinking about it because uh, this one this one guy who. What's the guy's name who does all the, the noise projects who did morbid shit and all that? You remember? His name was Frank.
2: Wait a minute. What else did he do? He
3: did, uh... That was the one he was most known for doing.
2: Morbid shit. Yeah. This is back. Now you're going... He was bit. He
3: was friends with the discharge guys.
2: Frank, um... I think
3: they just called him Frank Ghost Shit. I think that's what they called Frank him. Frank Go, yeah, yeah,
2: Ghost Shit Records or something, right? Yeah. Fra- yeah, I, rem- I vaguely remember this. Okay. Yeah, because he was
3: talking about how when he was a little, little kid, he got his first tape recorder, mm-hmm. and he just, like... He just loved to... Like, just... He just having fun just recording himself doing stupid stuff. It made me think of, uh... I don't remember what Christmas it was, but... I remember that, uh... Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC it just came out on MTV <laughs>
2: yeah yeah yeah
3: and it's like one of my happiest Christmas memories cause I had gotten my first I don't know if it was a boombox or tape recorder but it could record you, you could you know record voices and stuff like that
2: yeah they had the little built in yeah. air mics on them
3: I just remember going around the house like recording stuff off the TV it's like I just yeah. You know when, when Frank GoShit was talking about that it just made me think of like yeah, that that's probably kind of what molded like me wanting to like just do recordings and stuff like that. That was like the the bare beginning, I guess you could say.
2: That's really interesting to hear you say because I've always noticed with your projects, with Gore Noise and all the stuff you do, it's almost like a need, um, the the need to create something and to have this finished product and this recording almost comes before, like, uh, how it how it should sound. Like, you, you kind of, you don't really care how it's going to sound. You want it to sound as noisy and raw as possible, and it's kind of like how it comes out, it comes out. But Like, what's more important to you is that you're actually recording it, right?
3: Yeah, and I always like the most raw sound possible, the most distortion mm-hmm. possible. Like, I, I still, I used, you know, I still do that from uh, my performance today.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Adam and I were just at Dare Studio in Deer Park working on a new project. A uh, new recording, man. So you'll you got to pay you got to pay attention and stay tuned for
0: that one, man. It's not even mixed yet. So to get like just a little perspective, like y- your your entire musical career has been a process rather than a product. Like a lot of people are looking to make their final products, and they go to studios, but you're more like you want to be the hands on. It's it's the act of making it. That yeah, it's, a, it's really the whole it's the whole, you, right? it's the whole
3: total control thing. That's what I always liked about the one man projects. Mm-hmm. It's like you know. Cause I've been in band. I mean, me and him have fun in bands. But like I've been in bands where it's like you know serious business. Like you gotta write this. You gotta do this a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like bumping heads. Like when you do a one man project, you just do it your way. Right. You don't have you don't have anyone that you have to like run anything by. I guess.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, even
3: though know, I, I have fun being in bands too. I've been in bands, full bands, like that where you could, where everybody was had good vibes off each other, but then i have been in bands too where it was just arguing, arguing, arguing. Huh.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now just for the listeners quick, because that might be something people want to look into, you, do you actually have any recordings of you with, with a full band uh, you know, performing like different types of, st- of stuff than, than, than Gore Noise? I know there was your hardcore band.
3: Yeah, that was worse than ever. Uh, yeah,
2: worse than ever. The, um, uh, and there you put out the demo. Was that online or was it just the cassette?
3: It's the cassette and there was a CDR version, but brian the guitarist that passed Mm -hmm. away
2: yeah rest in peace to brian yeah
3: he he
2: handled the cd part all right so maybe we'll uh we'll see like a re-release of that or so we got to talk to john santiago about that maybe but um uh besides that was there ever a band that you were in like a death metal band or a full lineup band that you recorded with or played shows with
3: as far as death metal not really i mean there were ones that started but didn't last too long
2: yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure the only time you've played shows was probably with me when we did our band Carnal Trash for yeah. several years, and maybe I mean was there a time with Vomulence, the noisecore band we were in high school? With? Like, was there any other time you played live?
3: Uh, with Matt McNally. That's right. We okay. we had a band called Putrefied Stomach Contents, and I played <laughs> drums for it. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually my first show ever. Was uh, what was it? 2000? I think it was 2009 or 2010. Okay. We actually played in Lindenhurst at the Moose Lodge on Teen Night. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, we cleared the place out. It, it was full. It, you know, they were waiting for the bands that were playing afterwards. Mm-hmm. But once our band hit the stage, like everybody but three kids were waiting outside for us to be done.
2: Yeah, shout to those three kids. Those three kids were hardcore. <laughs> and
3: I, I wasn't. I wasn't offended. That's. Uh, I would have been offended <laughs> if they if if they if they loved it because they were there for like whatever you know. Whatever, uh, not popular band. But whatever the local band was that they all liked, That yeah, like they were yeah. waiting for them.
2: So all right. So I just wanted to clear that up, just in case anyone um, heard you say that and think that like, oh, Ad- Adam has some some band he sang for years. I gotta find the demo or whatever. There's really just um, y- your solo projects and kind of incarnations of gore noise. Like there was Bonded Flesh with you and your cousin Ed. Yeah, a couple tapes, yeah. Yeah, and then there's, like, Liquefied Maggots, which is with me, but it follows a lot of the same formula as uh, Anal Birth, Um, the the gore noise thing, and like you said, it's always kind of been about you controlling all the aspects of it, the one-man project, Um, but let's go back uh, further. I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, the Christmas where you got to record stuff around the house and that kind of, like, it it planted a seed in your head, maybe. Yeah. you did mention the Guns N' Roses tape. Like when um, do you become more aware of and into hard rock and, and heavy metal music. Like t- t- tell us about that process.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it did start with Guns N' Roses because before that, it was just whatever. It was just whatever came on the, the radio or whatever was on TV because I didn't really like have I didn't really have people that listened to underground music or anything like that. I basically got into that on my own.
2: Um, but, how, okay, I'm sorry, go I'm ahead. sorry,
3: but yeah, Guns N' Roses was definitely, like, the first one I consider, like, a harder band I listened to. Because, mm-hmm. uh, they came on MTV with that Sweet Child of Mine video, I was like, ah, that's that's all right, and then Welcome to the Jungle came, and that was a lot <laughs> harder, and I was yeah, like, hmm. Yeah. That that became, like, my favorite song at that point. Okay. And then I was able to, you know, I was only nine years old, but I was able to borrow the money from a kid's school, and I got... <laughs> I wasn't allowed to go anywhere, really, because the neighborhood I was in was really crowded, not not a great neighborhood, so mm-hmm. I got one of the girls in the neighborhood that was older than me to go get the tape for me. Yeah. And I played it, and I, I fell in love with that album. I couldn't stop playing it. And plus, it was, uh, I guess it was also the controversial album back then.
2: Yeah, that was... what. Was that appetite for destruction?
3: Yeah, that one.
2: Yeah, the album cover was really controversial, even t- by today's standards, and some. It was just the way. contents.
3: Like, it, yeah. it'd be nothing now, but like back then, like you were saying the f word, like talking about sex and.
2: Yeah, night train, all about liquor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good album. Night. That was actually my favorite song on that album before I even knew anything about drinking liquor. But uh, yeah, that song, night train. Um, now, you say you kind of got into metal on your own, or you got into underground music on your own. Like, uh, so there's Guns N' Roses, and I assume that eventually you notice, like, Metallica and yeah. that sort of thing. When do you notice metal? And, when and like, take us through, like, getting heavier and heavier and heavier until you find, like, death metal and underground metal.
3: Yeah, well, not too long after, like, maybe a year or so after I got the Guns N' Roses album. Like, there weren't a lot of metalheads in school. There were a couple. Like I'd see these T-shirts around, like Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer. I'm like, I've seen all these names. I'm like, these sound like something I gotta hear. So, this this one kid, Will Levitino, like he was popular, but he was also like he, he was like the resident metalhead in sixth grade. Him and a
2: couple other kids. Mm-hmm. Will Levitino, um, incidentally, uh, played bass in Hey ha- and Half Man.
3: Yeah, eventually. Local yeah. Uh, power yeah.
2: violence hardcore band Half Man. Um, that kind of yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that another time but I've brought them up on the podcast before shout out to Will Evertino
3: yeah but I, I can't say completely on my own but you know I had to go search it out on my own but I, I would see people with these shirts and I remember this one kid outside playing the kill them all tape on a boom box so, and you know I lived by the path mark mm-hmm. the grocery store and back then like you could get metal tapes at, at, the, at the grocery store
0: <laughs> i wish i wish that still happened <clears throat>
2: yeah 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 you could go in there and they would have uh the, the tape section and the magazine section sometimes would have like pro wrestling magazines and different things yeah yeah and people I, say
3: it all the time but like it's true like when i first heard rain and blood rain and blood by slayer mm-hmm. like that's people talk about that like that's one of those moments where you know where you were like just like when you hear something that heavy and that fast like when you're used to like you know just like your regular like heavy metal thrash metal and all of a sudden that comes out of the speakers
2: yeah yeah
3: like yeah that that was definitely a turning point Like that's why I realized I love like really fast really heavy stuff that's for sure
2: and um this is something that was actually a little bit probably before my time I never even saw this but tell me the story about the store where you could make your own mixtape yeah, that that, that that's around the same one. same era, right? Like, yeah, rough, I was yeah. about
3: I was about twelve. Yeah. I'm, I think I might have just heard like Rain and Blood at that at that time. They had this was a short lived thing they had at the record stores. It was called the Personics Machine. Where you, you could actually there was a catalog you looked through and you would type it in to the machine and it would it would play you a, about a five second clip of it, each song that it it was available. And you would make a list, and I think the tape itself cost a couple dollars. It cost like 50 cents a song, so of course I'll, my first tape only had two songs on it because I didn't have a lot of money.
0: But, it's a proof yeah. of concept.
3: Yeah, know? but you could yeah. actually get your own little mixtape
0: made. Mm-hmm. That's like, pretty cool. I mean, I never heard of that. But, it it, yeah. it
3: didn't last long. Like, I even heard that there was VHS machines at the Seven Eleven. It lasted about that long.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts with an operation like that, I could imagine... It's probably thing one of those pain things. In the ass. Yeah, it,
3: it wasn't. It probably wasn't lucrative for the record stores. Like I thought it was great. Like I was like, I can't afford to buy a whole album, but I could buy a dollar worth of songs. Right. Like, the, yeah. That I guess it didn't work out for them too well.
2: Now, that's probably before they made the little cassette singles, right? Because that, that No, probably... they they had them. Okay.
3: Was, I guess it was just something they were trying out. Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you just you were at the right place, I right just time. Just happened to be there. Yeah. yeah. That's that's awesome. But that
3: that's where that's where I first discovered death metal because I had seen. The band Death, you know, one of the original death metal bands, yeah. was, uh, I would see their tapes in the store, but, you know, I didn't have money to get them or anything, but thanks to that machine, I was actually able to play, like, a, the five seconds I heard a Forgotten Past was the first death metal experience I ever had.
2: Wow. And uh, you got, and so you got that song?
3: That song, and I got a song I already knew by the band Exodus on side B.
2: Oh, awesome. <laughs> Sick, man. Um, all right, so... Uh, now you're now you're exposed to death metal you're exposed to like all the extreme metal um what what comes first uh going to shows or like the underground death metal
3: you mean like demos and like
2: yeah dead. yeah like do you discover that before going to shows or do you start going to shows after you discover the mail scene
3: before i started going to shows I had already I had already been familiar with the the really heavy stuff that you get but from the record stores like the stuff released mm-hmm. by Earache Roadrunner those those labels
2: yeah the stuff that would be in, in your, your you know was widely distri- yeah. distributed in commercial record stores so
3: I was familiar with death metal and grindcore yeah. but when I first the first show I went to I think the first band I ever saw was Pyrexia that was that was the first <laughs> yeah they had my first show was uh, Deicide Deicide headline it was Vader before them wow. Pyrexia was the very first band I believe and there were some other bands I don't remember, but...
2: At, at the Roxy?
3: Oh, and that's when I first saw Dismember. And...
2: Dismember, Vader, Deicide, yeah. Pyrex. Was that, was that at the Roxy here in Huntington?
3: Yeah, there was. It was... Yeah. Uh, oh, my cool. God. Know, oh, my God. I believe it was May of 1993. I was 14 when I went there.
2: When people... Now, I've brought up a million times on the podcast already how the Roxy uh, was a venue that's right here in Huntington where we record and where I live. And it closed down like a year or two before I got into all this stuff. So, my whole life, I've bemoaned the fact that I never got to go there. Uh, And Adam has told me all these stories, man. So, you go there. I mean, I can't even imagine. Your first show is Deicide, Vader, Dismember, Pyrexia. Like, you got Florida, New York, Sweden, uh, and, and, uh, you know, random, like, iconic Polish death metal band there. I mean, and at that point, regional styles were regional styles. Seeing Deicide was seeing Florida Death Metal in the flesh. You couldn't just go on YouTube. You know, it was a whole... Yeah. A, a band coming from a different region was a whole different thing, right?
3: Yeah, definitely. And I was... I still am, of course, but I was seriously into this member. I just bought the Pieces EP and was blown away by it. I actually had it in my pocket when they
1: were playing. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Just patting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm here, I'm here. Yeah, pretty much.
3: I just had it with me in case I, like, I wanted to whip it out. But like, here, sign this. But I yeah. never got... I don't know. I never, I never did it, but...
2: You never know. Fred Espy works right here in New York City now as a sound engineer. You might run into him, man.
3: Yeah, that's one of the few times I can actually say I was starstruck when Dismember hit the stage. Uh, I'm they, sure they, they were my, they were one of my bands like at that point, and I was getting to see them for the first time.
2: Wow, man, that's awesome. So what? What other bands did you see at the Roxy? There
3: was so many because the place was open for a while before I started going there, but. Like, they just started regularly having shows. Like, I would say a couple times a month I was there. So I had seen so many bands, and they... They had a lot of underground bands come out. I mean, they had the bigger ones, like, of course. Like, you know, they had Cannibal Corpse and Death and Deicide and all that. But then they... All the local underground bands played there regularly. Bands from... Underground bands from all over the country and... Some out of the country were coming to play.
2: Like, who, um... Uh, just, just for just for the younger <laughs> the younger listeners that are really on their old school shit that wish they could have seen a lot of these bands. Like, what were what were a few of those bands, man? Just a, a couple of the sickest underground bands of the time that you saw there.
3: One rig I I remember I first seen Mortal Decay play there when their when their second demo came out, wow. of course, the aftermath.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked to Joe Gordon yeah. about playing the Roxy actually, about that show, man.
3: Yeah, yeah. His vocals were probably the first i ever heard i mean i had heard like death metal vocals and low growls but that was the first where i really heard that really low oh yeah
2: john p yeah john pay that really
3: low sound that you you hear a lot now but back then that that wasn't that wasn't too common
2: speaking of that low guttural vocal noise one other singer that was doing that uh at the roxy was matt duncan the original singer of afterbirth that was
3: that was the next band i saw they took that style to even a even a, a whole new level
2: now, something quickly, uh, listeners might realize I'm I'm now the vocalist for Afterbirth. Um, with all due respect and, and rest in peace, obviously in reverence to Matt Duncan. Um, Respectful flex. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, I'm just saying this to explain because I I was not around in that. I was too young. I was not going to shows. I didn't know the original Afterbirth lineup or see them at the Roxy because I wasn't going to those shows. Uh, and I first found out about Afterbirth by Adam Rotella. Playing me the demo um, and dubbing me, you know, a copy of the demo and telling me stories. Like I wa- like like I'm hoping maybe you could tell me. Right now. just describe maybe what it was like seeing Afterbirth uh, for the first time. Did they stand out back then just as just as they do now? Like was they, it like? Yeah,
3: they they did incredibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing ads because they hadn't found a bass player yet. Because I used to see the the ads posted up around the Roxy that Afterbirth was looking for. I didn't hear them yet, but they were looking for a bass player. So
2: it was pre Dave Case. Uh, being in the band yeah
3: Yeah. I think they had recorded just recorded the rehearsal tape with the other guy I can't remember his name Mm -hmm. but yeah the first time I remember I remember that distinctly first seeing them for the first time because Matt Duncan the the singer had just gotten married Mm -hmm. so he had like a bottle of champagne he was spraying everybody with champagne (laughs) yeah I've
2: heard the story he got married earlier that day and then they played the show
3: yeah I remember I remember I think I had a bad headache or a bad fever, but I still like you know I moshed pretty crazy. But I was like, <laughs> I was down on myself because so I was like, I was like, oh man, if my head didn't hurt so bad, I would have went harder for that band because that band was great.
2: <laughs> and and eventually they they released the, the demo. Uh, you got to see them with Dave when he joined, right? They were playing they were playing yeah. shows in that era. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what about um, let's see, you you talked about pyrexia. What about internal bleeding? I mean, you you got to see the OG internal bleeding lineup. Um, yeah,
3: yeah, and, and Chris Pervelis is one of one of the key people in helping me get into underground stuff. I mean, I said I did it on my own, but he was one of those you know people that like put me in a lot of the right directions. He was the one always handing out like compilations and demos at, to people at shows.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chris Pervelis yeah. from uh, Internal Bleeding. Um, anyone else you could think of back then who was like around the Roxy who was really active in the underground scene?
3: Like I really love the band Torture Crypt. Like I, it was oh, always it was man. always great to see them. I think I saw them like at least three times.
2: That's Torture Crypt with a K for all you kids who got to look that up because that is, in this era where people are rehashing all these old school bands and giving bands a second chance, that from from the '90s Torture Crypt, man, that is the band that needs to come back and do their little MDF yeah. reunion set and all that stuff, man. What a great band Torture Crypt was.
3: Yeah, they were amazing, and they they also did like a lot of like cheap special effects on stage which is great. (laughs) Like what? Like they have like dummies of women like stuffed with with bags of chocolate syrup so when John Lavinia would stab her in the in the ass the the chocolate would come out.
0: (laughs) Oh my God.
3: People were throwing I remember people were throwing the bags of chocolate around it like splashed all over my leg.
2: (laughs) I was like, Thank God that's chocolate. I actually didn't I I believe that reminds me Guar played there back in their heyday.
3: Yeah, Uh, I missed it but yeah. yeah, yeah they did.
2: Yeah, I remember. I I I was probably in like seventh grade. I definitely wouldn't have gotten in, but I remember a girl talking about her older sister going to that and getting covered with whatever.
3: Yeah, I never I never got to see Guar, but I always heard the legends
2: from people. Yeah. So, um, uh, when does the so now you're you know you're ordering CDs and demos from underground bands? um, You're going to shows at the Roxy. You're fully into the underground stuff. Uh, When does it? Go even further underground, and you start corresponding with people like um, uh, Rick from from Slough, and yeah. uh, and and like, and you get into the nitty gritty of gore grind.
3: I think yeah, that that's also goes back to Chris Pervellis from Internal Bleeding because he was he was always that supporter, the guy that always supported you know small underground bands. He was always giving me ads and stuff like like how you told me I used when I gave you ads when I first met you. Yeah, yeah. He was the guy that was doing that for me.
2: Okay, man. Yeah, I, I mean it. Uh, it makes perfect sense. That's how it was back in the day. You had somebody who was into it, and they would just pass it along. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I so I assume he gives you like an ad for that. For yeah, for he
3: he would give me catalogs for like Wild Rags Records when they were still around. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. That's
3: how I found out about the band Impetigo, and mm-hmm. you know, I found out about Relapse Records, and I started when they were smaller, and I started ordering from them.
2: So, uh. That's a point where, I mean, most metalheads, uh, a lot of metalheads go, okay, I'm good. Immolation, Napalm Death, Mortician, you know, this is... What makes you go... I I, I what's, I want to see this really explicit, shocking, uh, drum machine, raw production, one-man gore grind, like the, like the, uh, the slough, the catasexual urge motivation, the, those nitty-gritty of noisy, gory bands. Like, what makes you want to keep going that way, man?
3: It was just, I don't know, like the, the book... Like Slough was definitely one of the ones that started it. They were... Like you knew, like, if this stuff wasn't underground and people knew about this, like, they they would crucify these guys. Like <laughs> their, their lyrics made, like, Cannibal Corpse look like, like nothing.
2: Yeah. Like they were talking
3: yeah. about, like... Like he wasn't, like, a pre- practicing pedophile or anything, but he was, like, talking, like, all that stuff. Like, not like from... He wasn't, like, talking about, it, like, Pro, but he was, like... I don't know, it's hard to explain, but he was...
2: Well, it's not. It it
3: was just like really raw, nasty, like music with like the, like the nastiest lyrics you can imagine, like as controversial as possible.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was from an advocate. Like, like he wasn't advocating for that. um, But it could have been.
3: It could have been shock value too. It wasn't like.
2: Yeah, it was. He wasn't
3: advocating it, but he wasn't like you know speaking up against it either. It was just like you know, let's like these grind bands back then. These really underground grind bands, like the ones that weren't PC, were like. They they wanted to get that people like they wanted to see how like agitated they could get people.
2: Yeah, I, I almost look at it as kinda like um like a, a butchered at birth and deicide mentality, but like times Gigi Allen. You know yeah, what I mean? Like basically. Just, just trying to take that blasphemy and gore and uh, uh you know, nothing is sacred to, to like the next level. Like and then you got um uh, the the I don't know if Dismembered Fetus was the first of those Colorado bands from that scene, but you you started corresponding with Ace too, right around that time.
3: Yeah, because they 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 were friends they were friends with Slough, and that's how I found out about them. You just it, it it's just like a chain reaction. Like huh. Chris Prevellis like gives me like these catalogs and these ads, and all of a sudden I'm like you just you just keep searching them out. Like you want to search out all like the the nastiest sounding music you can find, like, with my taste.
2: So, uh, that being said, we're getting into really extreme territory with the gore grind and the gore noise. Bands with some of the most shocking lyrics and imagery um, ever. They just directly want to con- uh, confront people. Um, why why do you think you stick to the grindcore side of it and you don't go into the full experimental noise like your Merz and those sort of bands? What do you think I... keeps you in the grindcore area?
3: I don't know, I guess just the, the sound more appeals to me, but I, I really, like in the past couple of years, I have gotten into more of the, that harsh mm-hmm. noise style, though. Mm-hmm. And kind of recently I got into uh, harsh noise wall. It's just basically just a, a wall of bass-heavy static.
2: Yeah, you were talking about an artist uh, when we did that, that first interview with you.
3: Yeah, that was uh, Vamir.
2: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I-
3: he started all that, I think in 2006... He started harsh noise. Wall. it's where as reg- usual, harsh noise like we'll have like some change ups, some some loops, some mm-hmm. like whatever. Uh, Vomir for the most part is <laughs> for, the, for the whole duration.
2: Yeah. All right. So it different does-
3: variations, but pretty much yeah. like very like I'm looking for the word, but it's just based just like. One like unchanging sound from beginning to end,
2: like monotone. Yeah. 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 All right. So I mean, uh and you did you did go into uh, detail about um, that artist and that genre when we did our first interview with you too. If the listeners want to check that out, so you do get into noise. It just happens a little bit later in life. Yeah. Um. Then all right. So now you're you're tape trading. What what's your first project? Because it's not Anal Birth. I know that much. No. W- wasn't it? I'm going to take a stab here. Was it Embalmed Alive?
3: Um, not, not, not really officially. I mean, that was the first thing I released. But okay, I can't really think of the the very first recording I made because I changed the name so many times. I think maybe when I was in, I think when I was in eighth grade, I started experimenting with recording stuff. Like I would just record whatever whenever I got a chance. If I was over at my cousin's house, if he had an acoustic guitar and like huh. something to bang on, we would yeah. we would just. Just any excuse to, to record or jam or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm. So when do you release your first tape that's that you would consider gore noise or at least like a primitive version of that?
3: Actually, what a lot of people don't know is uh, the first the first birth demo isn't actually the first recording. There was a recording before it. I had just gotten a drum machine before I did the the first official demo. But I had actually did a recording when I still was using the electronic drum pads, and I had just bought the pitch shifter. So I I, I made that recording, and unfortunately I accidentally recorded over it. So people <laughs> like the few people that know about it like are dying to get it, but it just doesn't exist anymore. Well, you haven't even heard it. The one the only no. one, that, the no. one that's ever heard it was Eddie. <clears throat> Me, me and any of the ones ever, ever actually heard it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to, like, you know, get people upset, but it's just... <laughs> it, it upsets me, though, because...
2: Don't look on eBay or this yeah, for I'm that. Yeah, I'm just...
3: It just... There's no copies that exist.
2: So, um... I know eventually you put out the Regurgitated Corpse... <coughs> uh, Shit Lovers was the first demo, right?
3: No, Pile of Rot was, but... Pile Rot, I yeah. didn't... I used these really high-quality metal cassettes to record on that, the first demo, and I really didn't like the way it sounded. Um, I thought it sounded too thin, too clear.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, like those silver tapes, like the. Uh,
3: yeah, the ones that are actually like literally metal. They're yeah. Like, yeah, they're mostly made of metal.
0: Yeah, that's the th- those are like super high fi Yeah, those
3: were the. I remember them being mm-hmm. really expensive. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I bought a two-pack. and I think even back then it was like twenty bucks, something Oof, like that.
2: Yeah. 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 Tower Records, they had that wall of blank cassette tapes, and they had all the different varieties yeah. and. CD oh, this. Man.
3: Yeah. They had ones that were shaped like CDs. like the cases were shaped like CDs. I was yeah. just yeah they, they had a lot of variety back then when cassettes ruled the stores.
2: Okay so so what I'm trying to get at then is um, uh, you're, you, you, you start gore noise pretty early on. I mean uh, those early recordings where there's like an acoustic guitar and the drum pads you're pretty much at that point you're still trying to do what would become gore noise.
3: Yeah I, was, yeah, I was basically doing shitcore not knowing I was doing it.
2: Yeah, it's, it's I not... Didn't, I do not know that existed yet. It's not like you started out playing death metal or grindcore or punk and worked your way into Gordon noise. Like, this was always kind of your mindset from the go, and you eventually just figure out how to set the drum machine and how to get the, the right sound of the pitch yeah. shifter and the right sound of the guitar. But, I mean, this was kind of always your vision, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, when I was doing Embalmed Alive, I was really trying to do, like, death grind.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Like, you know, I was really influenced by Hemdale, Exhumed, Afterbirth... Mortician, like I wanted it to sound like that, but I didn't really like. I didn't. I only didn't have the equipment, but I didn't have the you know the ability musically to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: But then
3: one one day, like when I started really getting into Noise core, like when I first heard uh, AC's "Everyone Should Be Killed," <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: I first heard that on the radio, and that, that just blew me away. Like, like I fell in love with Noise core at that at that point.
2: And that was probably Matt the Mortician on Stony Brook Radio.
3: No, it was... Okay. I did hear a couple of his shows, but it was uh, Terminal Catatonia was the show. It was on... It broadcasted from uh, Stony Brook really late. I think it was uh, midnight to 2 in the morning.
2: <laughs> and now you've told me stories about uh, staying up late listening to that. Um, just, just because this is obviously, this is the 90s, there's no YouTube... No band camp. Nope. Uh, no, no iPhones, none of that stuff. So uh, you're Adam Rotella. You're trying to hear some new death metal and grindcore you never heard before. Uh, put us there. What, like, 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 what was it like trying to hear that stuff late at night in your room?
3: Yeah, that was that was another key part of getting me into underground stuff too. Was the the radio show? Because at the Roxy, somebody handed me a flyer that said the Noise Hour, Stony Brook, and it said WUSB Stony Brook. It had the the channel number mm-hmm. so i put it on one time at midnight and they were playing all these bands i never heard of like i think it was like 99 percent
2: yeah I, I just i remember back in the day you telling me a story about holding the radio like like right up to your face with the volume as almost like as low as it could go because you because you because it was late at night while you're listening yeah. to it you know what i mean
3: yeah and i had school the next day so yeah. it was hard to, i would stay up but then <laughs> once that started getting too hard to do i would just I would pop a tape in, mm-hmm. stay up as late as I could, fell asleep, and whatever the tape recorded, that I would listen to it the next day after school.
2: Yeah, yeah, man. And the, nowadays you can just go on YouTube, uh, new death metal. You know, every new album is right there, man. Yeah. All right. Um, so now you're wheeling and dealing. You're 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 trading tapes in the underground scene. Uh, you're going to shows. You're collecting tapes from like really obscure gore grind projects. You know, slough, catasexual, Dismembered Fears, all these bands um uh i come in the picture you would you would graduate high school and i was still in high school i started hanging out with your younger brother aaron uh and i come around and you and me start liquefied maggots which like i said was kind of the same blueprint as anal birth and those type of projects uh i just did vocals for it um and eventually we both fall in with uh, uh local metalheads from huntington man and we start hanging out with those guys um, still, I mean, there's there was like... We had Vomulence, which was a noise core band. We had a couple of... What, didn't you guys... What was it? Screaming Abortion, the project or something? But none of that well, stuff ever got released.
3: Yeah, I, st- I still... Ha- I, st- I actually came across those master tapes, but yeah.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. A
3: lot of short-lived bands. Like,
2: Yeah, we had an era where we had a duffel bag... I've talked about this before. We had the duffel bag with the four track and the pitch shifter and some mics and a drum machine, and we would just pass it around. Somebody would have it for a week, and then somebody would have it for another week, and we'd have, like, a bunch of demos come out.
3: Yeah, something's never yeah. changed. I still got that setup going on right now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Adam just passed me the four track today. Uh, yeah. we, we got a new project going. I still
3: man. got a duffel bag with all my equipment in it.
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah, man. So still going on today, man. I don't know if it's going to be a liquefied maggots reunion, so shut that rumor down on the message yeah. board, all right? Um something uh, you mentioned it before um, you know you said uh, you know when I when I came out of this drunken haze I think you said you know there was all these people into anal birth and there was all these other bands when you were doing Regurgitated Corpse and then later on anal birth and doing all these projects throughout the late 90s uh, was there anything else like anal birth was there any other scene for like brutal gore noise going on
3: back when it started no and a lot of people didn't get it like even in the like death metal and, and grindcore scene mm-hmm. they just you know they, they basically said like it was true like it, it it just sounded like the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. like as I I had given up like between giving up on uh, you know trying to be musical and like really falling in love with noise core I just decided to go full blast like when I started anal birth like I wasn't against humor I mean I there were a lot of humor noise core bands that I was actually into I just Like, the darker and darker the subject matter got, and like how I wanted to go into like just like doing the most offensive stuff possible. Like I just, for some reason, decided to just be seriously offensive.
2: Well, that's the thing is there were a lot of bands that had a similar kind of sonic formula of just kind of chaotic blasting noise, but they always had a sense of humor about it.
3: Yeah, usually, yeah.
2: Yeah, most for the most part. And, the, ba- and the, the the artists that had this really dark shark, uh, shark value, shock value, uh, mortician malignancy had the shark value with Motivated by Hunger. Uh, the artists that had the shock value, the really dark shock value, were more like your power electronics and your experimental noise artists that were doing that. And I felt like you kind of... Um, Bridged the gap because you had the disturbing nature that would you know the disturbing aesthetic that was going with these power power electronics bands But you had that sonic blasting quality that you'd find in your more um, Like comedic noise core bands, you know what I mean, but like you said you just made it straight serious Was there yeah. ever a backlash about about the gore and the artwork like like did you ever get the impression that like maybe it would have been More acceptable to people if it was death metal, but because it was such extreme noise that that, that it bothered people more
3: yeah, I mean, like nowadays, like people get offended at everything, but back then it was different. I mean, there were people that got offended, but it wasn't as many. Like, if I tried to release something like that now, it would probably, there would probably be such a backlash you wouldn't believe it. But no, I just once in a while somebody would, like, make a comment and send it into a zine, like, why, why you, uh, why do you have this anal birth demo ad in, in your uh, zine? It's 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 horrible. It's disgusting. Like once in a while you get to hear something like that and then somebody like like ace from dismembered fetus would call me up and congratulate me about it
0: yeah yeah rest in peace to ace man that's that's the whole game right it's like getting attention and you know you either take it or you get upset yeah because
3: i would just say the most offensive stuff possible and if he and i was actually disappointed i didn't get because bands like dismembered fetus like we're getting hate mail all the time I yeah, guess there's their welcome. subject matter. They they really knew how to stick it to somebody though. Like I would like stay on the whole like, you know, infant thing. Like they would go after like like they, they people thought they were racist and like stuff like that, but they well, really they really weren't. They just went after everybody.
2: They were they were the type of band, um and I, I when I talk about this type of stuff, I always reference like the nineties the was you gotta think about it. You had Howard Stern, Beavis and Butthead, um, the jerky boys they were more just for that irreverent humor. I don't think that they were racist. I don't think that they were uh, hateful or, or well. Some of their music was definitely uh, hateful, but they were sh- they were a shock value band, and they were kind of like uh, pointing at any any moving target. Yeah, they love they love
3: the you know? negative reaction. That, that's that's kind of how I started being too. Like-
2: but that's the thing though is that they were comedic in a way. Um, they were brutal, but yeah. they they had a brutal sense of humor. But um, when you it's almost I think like you can offend someone a little bit more more like under the skin if you use humor. You know if you if you if you do it in a mocking way, but when the way you offended people was just like what's wrong with this guy? Yeah, you know what I mean? Was, yeah. It's it's like, it's like people would see that and they'd be like it's just it's it's pictures of gore, of dead fetuses and dead babies and abortions and stuff like that. I mean, that's really jarring. That's something you know, and 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 you and you you har you stay like you said you harped on that you stayed on that, yeah. you didn't ever make it funny, you didn't ever you know uh, like Gorby on Necropsy is a band that would have similar imagery in their artwork, but they would make it into, um, uh like big symmetrical uh, uh, art pieces and stuff, and they would kind of like you know design it was still gross, but it was like the way you did it just just here's the picture black and white photocopy cut out typewriter text in the layout. Uh, it was almost like a ransom note or something like that, like a snuff film. You know, yeah, it was, yeah, it, of, it yeah. was, it was really uh, visceral and,
0: and jarring. Um, I have a question. Shoot. So, like, you know, you had this very serious approach with anal birth. Um, did you find humor in it afterwards? Like, I,
3: I found humor in some of the reactions.
0: R- it's the reactions, like, because I,
3: I, I was, I was asking for it. Like the 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 first demo was called "Infant Butchering." That. I didn't really think much of it, but then for this, the second demo, I just want, I just wanted to come up with the most offensive phra- phrase I possibly could, and it actually did get some reactions, but I was amazed it didn't get as much as it did.
0: What What is I, the phrase?
3: Uh, I, I, I could say the title. Please do. Uh, the full title of the second demo is Chopped Up Infant Cunt. Yeah. yeah. That was the most offensive thing I could think of at the time.
2: Yeah. Butchered at, butchered at birth who? I mean, you know, so... Uh, what? Well, before we move on, man, because that's extreme. Let's address that. What is it that you felt pushed you to that point where where that's ha- as that that's what you wanted to to, to do? Like, why did you want to be that extreme? Why did you want to throw, um, you know, throw it all to the wind like that?
3: I guess what my mindset was is like how I feel now about the gore movies. Like, like it's. You know i'm not i'm not out there actively doing it so like i don't think there should be any limits and laws to like i don't want to say creativity i never consider myself creative i just like w- do the most like horrendous ugly stuff i can do
0: well you're definitely creative it's just a different you know it's yeah I, it, I, it's not very form-fitting yeah like I, you're you're in the extreme on so many levels of like the actual presentation the wording—it's—it's it's, it's very creative. But no, I know. Even yeah.
3: people like really technical musicians, like my uncle, even he thinks I'm creative. I mean, I guess some people see things I don't. I don't see. I mean, I'm, I'm not downing myself. I just like mean like I'm not traditionally creative. Like I don't yeah, yeah. like come oh, up with all sure, these yeah. like these great riffs and these great stories and stuff like that. That's just not me.
2: Um. Well, I, then then here's something. What um. Did you ever witness anything as brutal in real life uh, as as some of the, some of your artwork? Did you ever witness uh, an act of violence or, or or the the aftermath of something really tragic like that? Is there something like that that might have played a role in this fascination?
3: I mean, I did see like a decent amount of violence in the neighborhood I grew up in, but the really most nastiest stuff I've probably seen like in. Like shockumentaries, like the ones where you see like real death stuff. Yeah, yeah. Some like really go over the line. Yeah,
2: like traces of death and and. <coughs> those yeah, type movies. ones even
3: worse than that. There, there's this one called the most disturbing person on planet Earth. And they they just show all the worst internet
2: clips from, Ooh, you know. I'm sure that's terrible. That's probably really horrible.
3: Yeah, it's it's you have to have a real, a real like strong stomach to deal with that
2: so but i mean even going before that because that's something you sought out when you started getting into extremity horror movies things like that
3: i was just like yeah this this is really extreme where's the next extreme thing
2: now you mentioned your neighborhood you and i grew up in um the same well in in the same neighborhood in the same town but your stretch your area was definitely tougher we'll just say in the 80s and in the 90s what what sort of things went on what sort of things did you see in your neighborhood
3: uh, I can remember being a little kid and sitting on my porch at night, and uh, I mean, that was—I think that was the first time I saw like, uh, like when you see in the movies, like uh, a bunch of dudes going with shotguns, like knock stuff over. Like I was watching that live and in person.
2: Where? where at a neighbor's house?
3: No, it was at the. The convenience store. but This is, like, back when I was little.
2: Oh, okay. All right. The one that's now the whatever express yeah. thing? Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Yeah, I saw dudes running there with shotguns, knock stuff over, like... I mean, I was all the way across the, the funeral yeah, parking yeah. lot, but I was just, like, glued to it, of course. Yeah,
0: yeah. Of course. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to take my eyes off that.
3: Yeah, but, I couldn't. You
2: know. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I just wanted to touch on that because... Like I said in the beginning of this interview, I've known you a long time. I know your family, you know my family, um, and we, we know where each other grew up. And, and I don't want to, if people want to know the man behind the gore noise or anything like that, I don't want them to get the impression of you as someone who, I guess, comes from a soft environment and just tries to impose this extremity on the world, because I know that you're someone who has taken in a lot of extremity from the outside world. Uh, you know, to put to put this back out in, in music form. That's all I was trying to get at there, respectfully. So, moving on from that then, um, as as you said before, uh, you know, you come out of a drunken haze uh, and, and anal birth is, is popular. There's all these bands. Do you want to explain, um, not that you want anyone to expl- explanation, but do you want to cover that period in your life or, or, or talk about that at all for the listeners?
3: Oh, you mean uh, my problems with alcohol?
2: Uh, yeah, if, if you want to.
3: Oh, no, I don't mind, because... Like, when I first met you, I wasn't—I didn't really party. I didn't do anything like that. But the
2: the Adam that I—if if I could just interject for one second—the Adam that I first met when I was probably fifteen, you were the eighteen-year-old brother who just graduated high school and you were eating a salad and lifting weights.
3: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was—I was, I was a health fiend. I wanted to, you know. Yeah, I wanted to be like, you know, weightlifter or whatever. But you know, I, I don't want to—I can't blame it on the shoulder injury, but. I got I got a bad shoulder injury at work, and that kind of sidelined me from doing that. So, you know, I, there's a lot of alcohol in my family, and I said I didn't want to do it. But you know, I just I picked it up. I figured why not? Uh, it was just this thought of why not? I'll just pick it up, and once my shoulder heals, mm-hmm. you know, I'll go back to being the health fiend. But my shoulder healed, but you know, by then I was like full, you know, full blown loving alcohol too much.
2: Was that from the lobster boat job? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That um uh lobster boat. And did you work on the clamming boat also? Yeah, before that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, hard work, man. I remember you were red you were red like a lobster were working on those boats. And um and you know, I, I remember, man, because like I said, I was a few years younger than you when we hung out with a couple other guys that were in their teens and early 20s around that time in the late 90s who were into heavy metal and stuff. There were you know, we all experimented with drinking. We all would get 40s. We would all get bottles of liquor. We would all, you know, allegedly experiment with other things. Um, and sometimes there's uh, one of one of your friends in your group of friends who uh, just doesn't moderate, uh, you know, whatever you're experimenting with as much as everybody else, you know? And I guess that's that's what happened with you at a certain point, you know?
3: Yeah, I just... It, it didn't take long, but I eventually just lost control of, like, how often I did it.
2: What, um what would you say, uh, maybe just as a cautionary thing even to, to, to younger people who are listening, like what are some of the, of the things that you regret from, from that period? Or maybe some things that you, um, uh, you, you lost or, or you, you lost touch with uh, for that period?
3: Well, it's just, yeah, just, it spiraled out of control pretty quick. I just ended up going from job to job and then going a lot of time without a job. Just like becoming way too dependent on the bottle. Mm-hmm. So like you know all that you know all that noise and and grind and stuff I was so in love with like yeah I listened to it when I was drunk but like like the bottle became more important than anything so like mm-hmm. that that took a back seat.
2: So so your lifelong love of underground music uh, and horror movies and all this sort of stuff kind of took a back seat to alcohol at a certain point.
3: Yeah yeah that's the, that's the beast when you're a full blown alcoholic you just. That becomes your number one priority.
2: Yeah, and you know I was, you know, obviously we've been friends for a long time. I always considered myself your friend throughout, uh, you know, your struggle that you went through. You fought tooth and nail. Uh, you you sure did. What would you credit? Because now, how long have you been sober now?
3: Uh, a little over nine years now.
2: Is it really nine
3: years? Jeez, yeah, man.
2: Sweet. I was ready for him to say like three or four years, but that's just because my perception of time. Nine years and no cigarettes too, right? You kicked cigarettes, everything, right?
3: Yeah, 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 I'm amazed I was able to. I guess I wasn't as hooked on that as I was on the booze.
2: What do you credit um, to? Because because when you stopped, also it's not like you had, uh, you know, like a wife and kids that you were trying to stop for. You were you were just out there. You were out there trying to quit, and 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 um, you know, aside from, uh, you know, a few family members and friends, like like hopefully we all would have. Uh, you know, it's not like you you had a huge support system in place, man. That was a, a massive fight for you. What would you credit with winning that fight and be, being able to, to become sober?
3: I would say going to, going to, not just going to AA, but I, I was lucky enough to go to one that kept me grounded long enough for me to meet a good sponsor who I'm still friends with to this day.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and now I've had my own battles with alcohol too. Um, as have a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of listeners. What, what advice or what would you say to somebody who's going through it?
3: Yeah, if, it's, if alcohol is controlling your life, the uh, best thing I can say is just, I don't know, just go to a meeting. <laughs> just go to... Uh, I mean, it's not just going to meetings, but, you know, taking the suggestions from people that, that have been through the same thing.
2: Mm-hmm. So... Alright, so I just wanted to cover that Because you acknowledge it very openly And it is an important part of your story Because there's a gap there Where you're not as productive in making these projects And recording these these tapes for, for years But when you do come out of this funk And you're able to really put this alcohol problem in its place Because it was a problem You know, it's it's not just like somebody wakes up one day alcoholic and there's a solid block of time You come out of it, you fight it uh, you, you you know it, it comes back there's relapses it's it, anyone who knows that you know who knows yeah. about this stuff will tell you that but eventually you do get back involved in music tell us about um like your first getting back in the underground scene like was there a day where you just like you know let me pop online like what's going on with the underground music like
3: yeah I was at a I was at a long-term rehab facility called Phoenix house and you know they it's a pretty strict operation but once you've been there long enough and you gain enough trust there that mm-hmm. you get to go out more i started they started letting me go out on day passes so i would go to the library and go on the computer okay because i didn't have a computer of my own i still don't but i would go on that's how i found out that like all of a sudden like anal birth had blown up <laughs> like it's just like everything else like once something's dead it's all of a sudden popular
0: but i didn't think yeah. like,
3: i didn't think that would ever become popular because even like, people in, like, a lot of people in the grindcore like, thought that shit was, like, crazy.
0: Yeah, what, what was going through your head when you first realized that, that that had popped off?
3: I thought I was reading it wrong. I was like, no, that can't be
0: <laughs> I was that, like, because
3: in the 90s, like, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not complaining about it, but, like, nobody really cared. Like, there were, I had, like, a tiny handful of people that were like, yeah, anal birth. But, like, most people were like, what, what the fuck is this?
2: Well, one of those people was, wasn't it Mark from Last Days of Humanity that you used to correspond with a lot in the 90s? Yeah,
3: he's probably a big part of it. And also, like, towards the end of anal birth, I was, their current bass player, uh, I'll call him Roger. I'm sure that's not how it's pronounced,
2: but. Oh, from uh, Mangled Maggot Stew? Yeah. Productions, the, the label, yeah.
3: Yeah, I was writing back and forth with him for a while towards the end of the 90s.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that
3: was actually the first time he had put, Anal Birth on his compilation CD because when he was doing Mango and Maggot Stew. Mm-hmm. And he, rele- he, he was the first one to release the full length, too.
2: Now, let me ask you this, because I've speculated in the past that when Last Days of Humanity kind of just ramps their sound up to more brutal, more brutal, more brutal, that maybe they were influenced by Anal birth or by your project. Like, what's your take on that? And I'm, have you ever heard anything back, like feedback from those guys about Anal birth?
3: Well, I talked to Mark because around the same time when I was getting back on the internet like I was saying when I was getting the day passes I had actually worked out a deal with Mark where he was going to re-release the album because nobody knew where Roger was for a while okay so I gave him permission to re-release it and that's when it came out with the that cover artwork with the you know the that color cover artwork
2: the red and black yeah that of, one. Yeah, yeah yeah nice yeah what, do you remember what label that was on what, what the name of the label His was? His label
3: was uh, Klisma. With a K. Klisma Records. Yeah, yeah.
2: Klisma Records. Um, so, because I just want to touch on that, because I've always had this fascination with the way that your gore noise particularly, like, influenced a lot of bands from that region, from the Netherlands and, and, and uh, that that area of the world.
3: Yeah, because I got to say, like, like, in the beginning of Anal Birth, Last Days of Humanity was actually, that. they weren't technically gore noise, but they were, they almost sent the. I guess, I don't know what they call it, like, pre-gore noise, I guess, like.
2: Yeah, we had um, we had a whole episode with Dan Olivencia and, and Paulo here, uh, Ping Two, where we we talked all about Last Days of Humanity and how they ramped it up uh, incredibly. Um, yeah, because they, they
3: started out noisy, then got more you know grind, a mm-hmm. little bit of death metal influence, and then just decided to be straight up gory
2: noise. Yeah. So, what? Um, and you know, I, we've talked a lot about anal birth. We mentioned regurgitated corpse, but you've done like dozens of projects and it seems like around this time isn't this when uh like 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 now we're in i guess probably the mid-2000s um when when you when you come out of uh you know drinking get back into sobriety and that's when we start to see like cavernous sores liquefied insides worm clogged blisters yeah yeah uh, yeah. just to name a few right like you you got what what and um you know you had a, a tape label for a while you're not doing the tape label anymore right
3: no i haven't done that for a while
2: yeah but um you know, this kind of saw like a second uh like a renaissance of Adam Rotella's noise projects uh if people are interested in this stuff, is there anywhere to to still get any of these releases?
3: I mean, it's hard now because I just moved and I really don't i I had a du- I had a dual tape deck but i had, I have to wait till I get another one but yeah I, I do have some stuff laying around if they want to. Uh, contact me by my email chaosnoise at com. I mean I'll try my best to hook them up I mean I'm, I'm also working with uh, Mick from Nuclear Abominations I mean I'm taking forever and I feel bad about it but <laughs> it's just things have been crazy
2: Hey, yeah, moving. But
3: yeah. he wants to do a anal birth full discography like everything from wow. the beginning to like when I started doing it again for a little while back in 2014 mm-hmm. to 2016 is there yeah.
0: a digital release for it too? Maybe yeah, it's, it's, it's.
3: I think it's going to be like a multiple part CD discography. Okay. Because there's so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Like from the beginning to like that little <clears throat> mini like portion when I was I did it from 2014 to 2016 again.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. There, there's a decent amount of material.
2: Gotcha. And um, what about Splatterfuck tapes? Is that label still in existence?
3: No, that's that's been gone for a while. Yeah, because
2: I mean, cause he, he reissued a lot of stuff and released a lot of stuff. Still does the
3: band Vomitoma, but that's okay. about it I, as far as I know.
2: Okay. All, All right. Because right. um, I just want to touch on that because there's like a vast amount of noise and gore noise and different tapes under different names. Um, there's even a DVD of Wormclog Blisters perform of you performing noise live uh, that I have that, that people could try to find somewhere. Um, but... Uh, you the last few years, you've transitioned from making noise and and audio based recordings to actually becoming a horror movie director.
3: Yeah, I've been I've been kind of doing it anonymously.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: For a bunch of different reasons, but yeah, I have I have two shorts already done. They're just like really really low fi shot on video, like really cheap effects, like really influenced by the. The no budget, like extreme German gore movies, mainly. Mm. Also, a lot of the 80s direct to video stuff.
2: Real, like, kind of schlocky B movie yeah. type stuff. Yeah, man. Um, What, well, let, let, let's take it back then, like, because I know you've always been into, like, you mentioned the traces of death, the faces <laughs> of the death. You've always been an extreme guy when it comes to um, horror movies, exploitation movies, snuff movies, whatever, man, all that sort of stuff. You're always looking for the, for the, um, The next craziest thing. When did you decide, I want to make a movie, uh, not just watch them anymore?
3: Yeah, for the longest time, I never thought I could. I mean, I'd always loved gore movies, but I'd say over the past, like, six years or so, like, I really started getting obsessed with them, like, more than I ever have been. Like, I spend a lot of my free time watching gore movies. I mean, I still listen to noise and grind, and I still love it. But gore movies are really... Like taking up a lot of my free time, and I never thought I could, I never thought I could direct because I didn't really know about how to go about doing that. Even the cheap movies, I thought even the cheap movies would cost way too much, too much money. But I found out that some of these like really no-budget shot-on-video movies could be made for not that much, and you don't need to like have special effects training. You don't need like to have all these producers. Like you can do it yourself, like I did with the. Well, not as much do-it-yourself as with the one-man projects. I mean, you still need people to help you out, but... Like, you can do most of it yourself. And I didn't, I didn't know that. And I've see, I seen a lot of these documentaries about... No-budget filmmakers and... Like, the old direct-to-video... Movies
2: of the 80s and early 90s. Or even just look back at uh, Ed Wood, Plan 9 from Outer Space.
3: Yeah, definitely. I saw that recently, too, again.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Great movie. And the movie Ed Wood, um, about his life, really good, too. I saw that, too, for the first time recently. Yeah, great movie. Um... Yeah, man. Uh, I feel like there's such a parallel there, and that there's uh, maybe some of your your listeners and your fans don't even know about that. Is there any place where people could check stuff uh, out for, from your movies? Anything on YouTube or anything? Or,
3: um, I would say the best is just to, to contact me through email, and I will. <laughs> underground, to... man. Yeah.
2: Forever <laughs> underground, man. No, no streaming it, bro. Yeah. No, no, I, no, yeah. F- no peeping it, man
3: yeah I have some uh yeah I have a DVDR of each each one of my two shorts that's available so far. okay, so anybody who wants to contact me and ask for them like I don't plan on making them limited edition or of any kind like these people that make 10 copies and then they you know then then the price gougers mm-hmm. put them for ridiculous amounts on eBay. I'm not about that I, I ha- help, people can have full access to my movies the best I can it's just the second short I made I can't really make a YouTube video of it because of the extreme Matt content it's basically <laughs> I'm like sure. it's basically like an anal birth track put to a movie oh god and then, not- then the first one is like it's a, it's a torture movie but it's like really cheap like really obviously fake but it was fun yeah
2: gory all that yeah um and uh where where do you see this going, or, or is it just going to be kind of the same thing as with Gore Noise, where you're just doing it for your own set, uh, sense of satisfaction and sharing it with uh, the few people who want to share it with you?
3: Yeah, I mean, things have progressed interesting, because uh, Tony Masiello, who who's more known for visual effects, also started running a company where he puts out a lot of these forgotten-about, old, shot-on-video movies to DVD
2: yeah aren't you actually appearing on some sort of compilation?
3: Yeah, I mean, some... it's too early to say, but there's going to be a backyard shot on video horror anthology, and my my newest short is going to be involved in it, and he actually edited the the VHS footage for me.
2: Wow, yeah you you now you just said something very key vHS um we didn't We didn't say uh, up until this part now when you say that you spend most of your free time watching gore movies, what's your preferred format?
3: VHS, of course.
2: <laughs> and you just, and you just related a story when uh, in the car before um, when I picked you up before. What is it easy to just hook up your VCR nowadays to any new TV?
3: No, I mean that's up till I moved into my fiance's house. I've uh, I've always had old TVs, and now I'm dealing with a new TV, and I'm finding out I need all these adapters to hook all my
1: old junk into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's a bit of a pain in the butt. Yeah. You know, I have a friend with. Uh, quite a vintage video game collection so oh, he's yeah. constantly dealing with that you know yeah because uh, there's all different types of outputs for that too yeah.
3: but i see people in videos like with vcrs hooked into these like 4k whatever tvs i'm like i guess it could be done i just hope it's not going to cost that much i was wrong it's those adapters aren't cheap
0: yeah yeah some of them are like 300 bucks to go you know wow. uh, da converters man they're rough well,
2: thank God for the video gamers because they're probably not making those adapters for the VHS fans. They're making them for the video gamers.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah.
2: So, wow, man. And you're shooting your movies on VHS too.
3: Yeah. I'd, I'd started, I got one of these little Vivitar mini DV cameras, but I hated the thing. So, I right. was like, why don't, like, most of the, like, 90% of the movies I love were shot on VHS. So why don't I just do that?
2: Wow. Could we just. of the movies I love were shot on VHS, is what this man just said.
3: (laughs) I mean, that might have been been a slight exaggeration, but I I don't know.
2: I believe it, though, because I know you, and I know you're probably collecting all these crazy underground horror movies now, the same way you were collecting underground noise and gore grind. Yeah, it kind of... You get very obsessive with it, the same way I do with my death metal and my things that I'm into, you know.
3: Yeah, because I did so many decades of just, like, constantly buying tapes and Mm -hmm. CDs and records... Now, now it's now it's flipped around to where it's it's the movies now.
2: Hmm. Wow, man. Um, and uh, you know, I I, I feel <coughs> so like I,
3: I got a ton of I got a ton of I got a ton of music and noise though. So I got eventually uh, I'll get enough movies where I it goes right back to where it was.
2: Maybe you can just start doing music videos for gore noise artists and gore grind bands. That would be like yeah. the perfect you know the, the combination. We'll see, man. I'm not gonna tell you how to live your life. <laughs> um, but there's there's so much more I'd love to ask you, man. I feel like we're going to have to have you for like a part two eventually, Adam, because um, I do want to start, uh, you know, we brought it up to, to today where you're making the movies and I want to start winding it in into the recommendations just to be respectful of your time and of the format. Um, but maybe on this note, we're talking about the movies. Uh, obviously, people can email you and get in touch with you if they're interested in your movies, but... What are like what would you recommend? Maybe like a hot like like two or three uh really cool underground gore movies that you've been watching. Like like let's kick off the recommendations by recommending some movies first.
3: Uh movies, I would just say the like the goriest ones possible. Like two of my all time favorites are definitely Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox. Whoa, whoa. Like I'm I'm very besides the, the shot on video gore, I'm very about the old Italian cannibal movies. Mm-hmm. Those I definitely recommend. Of course, Man Behind the Sun, that's another favorite. But as far as shot on video, I would say definitely uh, The Burning Moon. That's a big favorite. Also, uh, there's a... I mean, it's not new, but it's newer. It's called uh, A Fucking Cruel Nightmare. (laughs) That's Hmm. definitely one of the goriest ones I've seen. I mean, it's it's very no budget, but there's like just constant carnage going on blood spraying all over the place wow so I definitely recommend
2: getting into those we gotta have like a movie night with you and Nick Cassiopo, uh ex the communion cause he he's definitely into. and you know what's yeah. funny I know I know a, quite a few drummers that are into really extreme stuff too like um uh well, you know, I'm not going to put them on blast, but we'll we got to get you guys to have like a maybe next Halloween or something, man. Have like a round table discussion or something.
3: Yeah, I can lately I can talk about movies all day long.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know, man. I know, man. It's awesome too because I'm I'm kind of getting way back into horror movies too after an extended period of not so much movie watching, man. But um but we could talk about that uh another time. So uh, like I said, being respectful of the format, we're, we're going to have to do like a part two with you, Adam, and talk more about the history of gore noise and your history in the underground scene. I know you got tons of stories about tape trading and shows and stuff. So, wrapping things up, let's go into album recommendations. This-
3: my new, my new one is a, uh, it's a gore grind band, pretty new from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. They're called Heinous. This is just really raw throwback gore grind, like just uh, down tune sounds like it was recorded on analog equipment, and I'm sure it was. It's just like that straight-up, like, guns, regurgitate dead infection style. Strangulation. Like early 90s gore grind sound. Putting poison on victims food. It, 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 it just it really stands out. I just realized... It is a 12-inch LP, but it, I guess they, it's a mini-LP.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, will, will will agree with me on this one.
2: Yeah, this is awesome. The getting like kind of like an old school regurgitate vibe, right? Yeah. It's because the drums sound so real.
3: Yeah, this one just really stood out. I mean, there there are tons of gore grind bands now, but like, I guess the oldest, older sounding ones appeal to me the most.
0: Okay. Right, a little uh, nostalgia for you, I guess.
3: Yeah, it's just like super catchy, just super heavy.
0: And yeah, this is. It's like you
2: said, there's so many bands nowadays. It's hard to tell apart, but when you listen to this, when you play this for me, it sounds exactly like you said. It sounds analog, and it, it captures that feeling of some of those old gore-grimed albums. We were talking before off the record about bands that go back and re-record their older material, and I think something that's lost sometimes when bands... Do that is is this quality that you have with this band right here they've captured it from that old-school era they got that analog lo-fi the drums sound real the cymbals clang out in the mix and it's
0: it's gore grind it's raw yeah definitely do you know if this is a real drummer or is it a uh, like a as far as I know
3: it's it's a real drummer
0: okay yeah it sounds good everything's uh, sitting nice in the mix it's noisy but it's not like um... yeah it's noisy in a good way it's it's charming sounding you know great guitar tones yeah
3: definitely is it yeah definitely just that really noisy raw straight-up old-school gore grind sound
2: heinous from Arizona right yeah all right
0: Right, Justin what's your new one
1: cool so I have some like uh some newer kind of uh technical inspired what would I want to have old school alien caveman based technical death metal uh <laughs> out of out of Cleveland Ohio uh this is inoculation their new two-track EP and anonymize uh came out October of this uh this year 2019 year of our lord on maggot stomp records it's just a great label course. putting out quality all the time
2: yeah. maggot stomp shout out to my shout out to maggot
1: stomp records so, uh, so, this jumped out to me because I mean I'm always a huge fan of like technical guitar playing, um, but something with this inoculation release is it's it's very groove focused as well. A lot of uh, easily digestible grooves. Um, the vocalist has this uh, this really cool range of you know, screaming highs, brutal lows, as you will. Um so just refer to these notes right? It's higher stuck in the mud lows to giraffe balls highs. Yeah, I <laughs> thought that was pretty good. Um, kind of, I uh, kind of uh, like in the band somewhere in between, um, uh, in between death and deeds of flesh. I think kind of okay sticks yeah. right in there. Uh, really cool bass riffage. Uh, I like the the dry, you know, uh, production of of what's going on here. A little bit old school quality to it.
2: A little bit of a um a Bone Thugs Archspire esque vocal technique he was using there. Oh yeah, very chop down. Yeah
1: like Frank Mullen even. There you go. Inoculation. Also Check it out sick. if you want some uh, technicals.
2: I like how you said right between death and deeds of flesh because I, I understand what you mean. This, this mm-hmm. yeah, It's hitting that vibe. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Tonight, for my new recommendation, I got Crypticus. Mm. This is their new release, Feast of Absurdities. This is a one-man band. It always hasn't been that way, um, through their record, looking through their uh, discography, but Patrick Bruss, who listens to this podcast, and I saw that he posted his new release, and I gave it a listen, and I thought it was pretty fucking good. I gotta say, uh, I want to dive into their older material. I'm not familiar, but... I like his vocal performance a lot. It's kind of like the soupy demolic kind of approach. I mean, you 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 guys obviously already know I like the vocals. <laughs> yeah. uh, no surprise there. No, you know, I, I, this is really cool stuff. Patrick combines a uh, really cool synth stuff in here too, throughout it. Uh, the riffs kind of take you; they're jarring at times. Like the, there's like some polyrhythmic play, but it's never too absurd. Every now and then, there's that riff that catches you off guard. You're not really sure where your head's supposed to be popping, but. um Yeah, it's cool. Um, It's all over the place. And while being all over the place in its writing style, it still feels concise. It's dark. It's a touch technical. There's elements, like I said, of synth, uh, very much horror-related kind of stuff. And uh, also appropriate because we're talking about one-man bands. So, Mm -hmm. here we go. I
2: love when bands have kind of, like, very interesting, uh, uh, unique (laughs) songwriting uh, almost maybe experimental or expansive, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. But the vocals are just soupy and guttural. Yes. that's. I mean, I don't know. You know maybe that's kind of like a motif or an aesthetic I, I, uh, I go towards, man. I, you know, call me crazy, but the, I, I, I love it, man. And I'm hearing these little synthesizer like hmm. Thurman esque sci fi sounding noises. Yeah. This is this is really cool stuff, man. I'd I'd love to have this on my uh, commute tomorrow or something, so I could really get to know this album. Yeah. Cool shit, man. Shout out to Patrick. Thanks for listening, man. We're we're listening to you now.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll figure out maybe we get him for uh for a little interview uh, because I I'm pretty sure Patrick also does um some remastering and mixing for a lot of other bands. I didn't
2: ask you about all that. I don't. don't Let's <laughs> go. No, come on, I'm Patrick. I'm kidding, buddy. All right. That that sounds good, man. Uh, as does this. Uh, I mean, you could definitely tell the guy knows his way around the engineering board um, when it sounds like this. Everything's very clear, it's cool, and that's what I mean. I kind of like the fact that like there's these these weird synth parts and the vocals, which just kind of like takes it the next level of abstraction from just a regular um,
0: you know impressive tech death uh, production. Yep, check it out, Crypticus, Feast of Absurdities. Almost like Nocturnus.
3: Yeah, that's what I couldn't put my finger on, but yeah, dude. It... Yeah. Demelich combined with Nocturnus like would definitely be pretty
0: close he's been doing this since like 96 too this is definitely a name I've,
3: i've seen his name around crypticus a lot i never got to hear him till today
0: So, Will, do you have anything that uh, sounds like uh, the Metal of Death? Uh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I never. Th- I, I was waiting for you to ask. I thought you'd never ask.
2: Um, the band Cyanide from Chicago, Illinois, is kind of like my prototype Metal of Death band in a way, really, um, uh, and more so because not only did they did they <clears throat> sound like that back in the day, they still sound like it today, man. They got a new song out. It's been out since September uh, that you can check out on YouTube. It's a single called The Serpent's Wake, uh, and it's apparently going to be on their upcoming album that's coming out this month, November, on Hell's Headbangers Records. And if this song is any indication, I want it, and I want it on vinyl, and I want it bad. I might have to do the pre I don't usually do the pre-order thing. Uh, I might have to do it for this one, man, because Cyanide is awesome. They put out a live album last year. That was cool. uh, But to, to, to hear, like, there's a new studio album doesn't sound altogether uh, different from their old sound. It, sound. it sounds maybe a little bit tighter, mm-hmm. slightly modern, but it's still cyanide. It's still your voice. Right. Um, and I, I had to bring it up, too, because uh, Adam, that Cyanide, the Dying Truth album that I brought in uh, several episodes ago for my old suggestion, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, for, I, don't, I forget if I mentioned that Adam gave me that CD way back in the day. That was one of the first... Probably one of the first death metal CDs I ever owned was that cyanide the Dying Truth and uh, you passed it on to me probably when I was like 16 or 17 or something.
3: Yeah, because I I'd I had that album too and I was been a big fan of these guys since I heard their album Descent to Hell,
2: mm-hmm. which
3: is actually their second album. like it, it just like they don't sound much different now I mean yeah they, they do but like they it's still like that those like those low nasty vocals, that really nasty guitar sound. Like these guys are like they still act like a garage band. They they they'd rather mm-hmm. be like in the basement rehearsing than actually playing shows even though they like playing <laughs> shows. But they yeah. they from what I heard they hate touring. Like they they'll they'll play shows but only if it's like local.
2: Yeah, they they just sound and strike me like that band that's probably just still drinking beers listening to Celtic Frost and yeah. Venom on a Friday night. You know from, what I mean? From
3: what I heard, yeah, they'd rather just rehearse and and, and jam than do anything else really.
2: Yeah, I love that man. There's something I get—not um, to not to not to bring it up again like it's a flex or something—but um, Afterbirth, something I love about the band Afterbirth um, being in the band is that those guys rehearse uh, as long as there's you no know, not a holiday or someone's out of town or whatever. But every Friday night, like clockwork, Friday or Sunday afternoon. Those guys are in the studio. There could be no show booked for a year. There could be no album to be recorded. Those guys are in the studio jamming just for the love of it, just for the camaraderie of it. This is what we do on Friday night or Sunday afternoon after work, and you know be- before we go, uh, you know, do our thing for the weekend. Man, we got to jam and we got to do do our death metal. And that's just that's kind of what you're describing, man. It seems like these guys they just love it. They live it. They don't need the recognition. They don't need the um. Uh, you know, whatever menial amounts of money might be coming yeah. in playing death metal, they just do it for the love of the game. And, um, you know, the the fact that they're still... They're probably from the 80s, right? They started, I think, late 80s. Uh, yeah, they if,
3: might have, or, or, like, at the latest, very
2: early 90s. Yeah, if if not that, the 90 or 91. Um, and they're still in the game, still doing it. I think it's still two original members right now, if I'm not mistaken. And they still have this sound. This is the sound. This is the cyanide sound. I'd be very disappointed uh, if they um, if they changed or tried to modernize or anything, man, they're just giving us what we love and we need more of it at this point, man. Because this is when you say OSDM, that's become kind of like a, a, a weird term nowadays, man. It's become a four letter word, OSDM, because so yeah. you know there's because it's it kind of <laughs> indicates that there's like a, a trend or a fad or anything, man. It's a beautiful <laughs> style of music, OSDM. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes one of the, the, the pioneers to come back and show you why, man. So this is, this is beautiful metal of death. Cyanide, watch out for that new album coming out soon on Hell's Head Bangers Records.
0: your old recommendation
3: uh it's a one-man project from greece uh it's called autophagia the, the one dude behind this is from greece and it's all him he's playing the guitars the bass the drums and doing the vocals
0: those vocals are disgusting yeah that is cool.
3: i mean some songs he'll do like half like cross-core sounding vocals mixed with this but usually it's just straight up puke
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's like
3: this is like just it's it's just like just frantic gore grind. Like, even when he's not blasting, like, the beats are just frantic. But
2: uh, Angelos? Angelos. Ha- uh, Hatsi Andreu, I believe, is how you pronounce it. you. just saved me <laughs> from, from trying to pronounce that man's name wrong. I couldn't
3: remember his first name. I like, used to write to this guy all the time, but, yeah. you know, getting older, that, that memory's going.
2: Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, he's been around since 1997. So, uh, it says 1997 to 2006, so I guess he called it a day on the band.
3: Yeah, but he, he's one of those people I... Trade with back in the late 90s. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I kind of, for some reason, I always group this band in my memory with Dysmenorrheic Hemorrhage from the U.S. Kind of like same time period, right? Like second generation grind in a way? Yeah, pretty much. From that first wave, yeah.
3: This is late 90s. I think he started this project like in 98 and ended it in uh, the early 2000s sometime, like maybe 2005.
2: I gotta say, I'm a real sucker for one-man projects with real live drumming. You don't yeah. see that every day.
3: He started with a drum machine and a tape yeah. recorder, and then he graduated to playing, this, getting a drum kit.
2: Some of those, uh, some of my favorite slough recordings. Wasn't there slough recordings with real drums?
3: Uh, the very, the first rehearsal demo, and then it was all drum machine after that.
2: Okay, I, I remember hearing something a while back, and then there was also uh, Gorby on Necropsy. That wasn't a one-man band though, but they had drum machines yeah, they, and then had a drummer.
3: Yeah, they went the opposite way. They'd, got yeah. drums eventually.
2: Yeah, but the Gorbion Necropsy with, with the drum machine is actually really cool.
3: <coughs> yeah, definitely.
2: Wow, Autophagia, bringing it back, man. Greek, one-man gore grind. Really good shit, man. 2003. I, I, I say just as good as Regurgitate, Last Day of, Humanity, any of the Humanity, and either Classics.
3: Yeah, it's a really cross-core influence, too. That's why... You know, it's not super low tuned like a lot of gore grind, but it's just it's just frantic stuff with uh, just like really nasty vocals over it.
2: Lo-fi, man. Catchy. Yeah,
3: definitely.
0: I gotta say, like this guy recorded it all himself. It sounds really good. This is a yeah. It's very clear for like a like a gore grind recording.
3: <laughs> like his. I don't want to say it wrong though. like his like some parts like his drums aren't super tight but I just like the franticness of it he's just like he's not afraid to like to really get in there
0: right yeah it's like a raw energy don't
3: tell me me that I I don't have enough chops to play this fast I'll do it anyway right yeah
2: something admirable it it speaks also to I think uh, this is
3: very influential I I played drums for a short amount of time like my drums sounded a lot like that
2: I I was going to say there's a parallel there to like your attitude with Recording which is more just like get it get it done get it recorded, you know
3: But his drums just his drumming after this just got tighter and tighter to where he was just like It was just like pinpoint
0: Well, you can only fake it so long until you're actually doing it, you know like he's he's pulling it off here, you know Uh, I'm sure the next record even tighter, you know because a
3: friend of mine said like oh He sounds afraid when he plays drums, but I, I think it's the opposite. Like he's just like you know, I'm just gonna push it as hard as I can. If, if it doesn't sound tight every time,
0: too bad. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of push pull there, but yeah. I don't like that. I like the human quality. Of That's it.
3: how my style was. Like I remember when my friend Matt like asked me if I played drums. I lied to him and said yes, and I just like you know <laughs> went from there. I stayed playing drums for him for a while, and I noticed I was getting a little better at it.
1: So I was kind of I was uh, I was on this kick of looking for like um like the beginnings of technical metal, right? Or or where technical like prog and death metal kind of like meet a little bit. Okay. So I found this band Jumpin Jesus um, <laughs> from uh, from Germany. Are they a Christian band? They're not a Christian band. Okay. Well, it's a terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I'm I'm still open-minded. Yeah. Well that's a good thing So uh, so they put out this record The Art of Crucifying uh, In 1991 On West Virginia Records Which I love They're from Germany <laughs> Yeah
0: Oh well I mean I was in uh, Munich For Oktoberfest And that The West Virginia song yeah. They sung that more than anything It's amazing It's a good time So,
1: uh, so this is this band's uh, Only full length re- uh, release um, They came out with a demo But re-recorded um, Most of those demo songs To put on, on this record Um yeah, this is like crazy, chaotic, technical death thrash, like um, inspired. I-, I think a lot by uh, by like Flor- the Florida death metal. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I hear that. And it's like it's like this weird mix of like Florida death, German thrash, and like Peace of Time Atheist, which had come out like a few years before.
0: Yeah, what that's true? What an unfortunately named
2: band. Yeah, and this sounds really
1: awesome. They put this record out and then and then disappeared. Oh man. Uh, lots of cool, weird time and tempo changes. Uh you could definitely hear the proggy, like atheist sort of influence, and then it just fucking goes, has this like kind corpse push at, 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 in you know in some sort of uh in some parts. Um fucking cool man. Yeah, jump of Jesus. I just wanted to bring this to the table. Sounds it's like not this. so much to it's say so about it's it. It's
2: a great find. Two uh, guitar two guitarists. Yeah. So that means at least four men. Possibly five agreed on jumping Jesus. Yeah, for a, sure. It must sound really cool when you say it in German. <laughs> yeah. I, that's the only thing I can think. Of because no, this is like really cool technical. Like you said, it's death thrash early technical. But mm-hmm. why the name? All right, man. I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to harp on it, but this is awesome. This is cool shit. Cool riffs. Cool performance. Sick I, drumming. I, I yeah. like this. It's
1: 1991,
2: man. What Off the bat, I hear some things in this that I I enjoy. Uh, that I'm gonna talk about with my old school selection I love it
1: yeah. And I'm sure no, nobody really has ever listened to this that are in like more modern like kind of proggy death thrashy, tech bands now but you know fuck them should listen to Jump, Jumpin' Jesus yeah. buy Jumpin' Jesus t-shirts and if you can't yeah. find them make them yourself
2: your mom will think that you're a born again Christian and, and stop listening to devil music be <laughs> yeah, great. It's,
1: it's a Trojan horse
3: yeah. If somebody was listening to this and said, Yeah, I'm listening to Jumping Jesus, I don't think anybody would believe it. They'd be like, No, what's their real name? Their real name yeah. is like uh, Death Thresh Massacre or something, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's not Jumping Jesus, no. Tell me what the real name is.
0: bringing in Psychroptic. We haven't really talked Cycroptic no. on this no. podcast. No. Great band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is, I, I think this is one of their most overlooked releases. It's called Symbols of Failure. Okay. It's the first one with their current vocalist uh, Jason Pepiot. Um, A lot of people were fans of the two previous releases uh, Scepters of the Ancient and uh, I'm blanking on the other one right now because uh, Chalky was the vocalist fantastic vocalist.
1: Really unique style.
0: Yeah. Um, and Jason Pepiot joining this band, I think he he did a really good job of kind of um, matching that excitement but totally different vocal range. Like, uh, maybe not as experimental in ways, but the varieties of vocal performances are just wild. Uh, honestly, they're a little too much at times throughout this album, but I like talking about this album and listening to this one because of the riffs in it. I don't think this is their best album but I think it has some of the best riffs mm-hmm. that they've ever written it's um, it's really a guitar player and a drummer's album the, the performance is killer um, wow Joe and Dave uh, Haley they're the brothers in the band Dave plays drums Joe plays guitar just the, their chemistry is fucking wild they're so in each other's heads i feel like i'm just because the
2: points you're bringing about guitar and drums and writing and other albums that's all stuff i am gonna bring up
0: in my recommend you guys both of you guys are like flowing with me go on oh. go on well that's good that's okay. good for the listener yeah you know get that coherent idea going but like yeah, yeah uh th- this whole album it's my formal complaint is that the songs aren't really that dynamic mm-hmm. that's more of like a um objective thing to to call it out for yeah objectively i'm all about this album,
1: or if you listen to it in the context of the rest of their work, you know what I mean.
0: Yes, exactly. But, um,
1: but yeah, they, they fly on this record. Man, this is like all like all the instrumental is super creative. Whether or not it's a cohe like as good of a uh, song like structure. As yeah, other ones.
0: exactly. Every riff is solid yeah. throughout it. Sometimes sometimes the riffs are placed in maybe maybe not the best choices, but they still work. Everything works on this album. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's why people don't like this one much. Like, mm-hmm. I've seen them a few times; they've never played anything off of this album live, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's unfortunate. I think, um, yeah, I think that this song "Alpha Breed" that we're listening to is one of the sickest songs mm-hmm. in their catalog.
1: And there's like "Epoch of the Gods" is another like really. That good one's song.
0: on. Um, that's on "Scepters." Oh, okay, yeah, okay. which is like, see, that, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm what you're talking about, exactly. Yeah gets lost. You have to listen to more of this album. you got to remember, if you don't know this album, dive into it. If you've heard it before, maybe weren't that into it, give it another listen and um, hear like this, I'm using the word again, chemistry, that these uh, instrumentals bring to the table.
2: Yeah, psychroptic, kind of like in a way, like a, a middle ground between like Defeated Sanity and Necrophagist for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's... It's like it's like not as music school as Necrofit, Necrophagist, however you say it. Yeah, uh, a little little bit of the brutality in there and the guttural in there, but not as like music school. I don't know. There's just it's, maybe that's the wrong comparison, man. But yeah, I, I really love this band because they're technical in a way that's not too. Like, so offy for me.
0: I would definitely agree with the Defeated Sanity sentiment, mm-hmm. just yeah. based on, not that they sound similar, but there's a tremendous attention to detail with every yes. riff. yeah, yeah. And it, just wild little nuances everywhere. The guitar player the, the, is doing all these little flourishes, and live, killer. Yeah. Like, just as tight as Defeated Sanity, man. They, yeah. they fucking kill yeah. it. Underrated band in a way. Mm-hmm. They've been touring more recently, and uh, I a few see, years they've yeah. been getting out there yeah I'm glad they're they're coming over here because you know Australia's yeah. a hell of a travel you well, know? they
2: enlisted Todd Stern
0: uh who's from New Jersey originally, yeah of hammer fight uh for uh a base I believe shout out to Todd <clears throat> yeah he he recorded their last album with them uh, yeah. they went pretty experimental with that the latest mm-hmm. one, but you know this is we're talking about the old symbols of failure, yeah, so uh. Yeah, it.
1: There's almost like a Montreal, like, technical death metal influence. Or, you know, like, their Canadian kind of stuff. Like, there's definitely a Cryptopsy vibe in here. If you uh, if you like Cryptopsy, maybe aren't a fan of the newer Cryptopsy stuff, like, Cycloptic was is a cool band to, to check out. Yeah, good I, point. I think, like, you know, uh, what, uh, what, say, like, a band like Despise Icon is doing with their more death metal stuff as of recent is, like, could be in the same, you know, lineup as, as what Psychroptic has been doing. So, it's, uh, it's the constant chaotic, like... Smart, like drum riffs, right. along with really
0: technical guitar riffs. Drum riffs. I never used that term before. Oh, I like that. drum riffs. It's drum a thing. Riffs. Yeah,
1: sweep drummer.
2: Uh, I'm going big tonight. I'm not going underground. I'm talking about Slayer's Divine Intervention album, which came out in 1994 on American Recordings, uh, produced by a bearded Rick Rubin, no less. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um... Not everyone's go-to slayer album. I find when the slayer conversations come up, everyone's like "South of Heaven," "Seasons of the Abyss."
1: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm a show no mercy guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: That's that's like people. You know, people are comfortable with that, and I get it, man. Those are beautiful albums, uh, groundbreaking, mm-hmm. influential in a lot of ways to death metal and black metal. Uh, this album, I believe, it was four years after "Seasons of the Abyss." Uh, this "Divine Intervention" album was dropped on the public. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. Actually there was meetings at the record label where they said that they needed to make a hit song. Mm -hmm. Slayer said, No, we're not doing that. Uh, and the record label agreed that to to let them take an approach of more like pleasing their fans. As opposed to trying to break out and be the hit you know,
0: make a hit and you gotta be big and this is the nineties guys, da 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 Right. You don't always have to make a bigger audience. You could just make sure that your current audience is happy.
2: Yeah, so this album yeah, so they, the record label ended up encouraging that, probably because they just realized these guys aren't going to make a hit song for us. So let's just, you know, let them let them do what they do best. But they had four years uh, in between um, the, the, the since the Seasons of the Abyss to this coming out. So I think that they took a little more t- time with the songwriting and the developing. And that's my biggest... Um, uh, the, the thing that I like most about this album is how uh, intricate and subtle the songwriting is. Um, These guys shred. The drums are there. This is actually the first album without Dave Lombardo with Paul... Hold on a second. I'm going to say his name wrong. This is the first album with Paul Bostaff on drums. And what an impressive performance. I mean, because this is... Uh, this isn't just your one-two thrash uh, Slayer, which is which is great. There's some fairly technical writing on this. There's there's a lot of riffing. There's a lot of shredding. There's a lot of really intricate songwriting going on. This is just my speculation, but this is probably... You know, it's 94, this is dropped, so you figure it was probably written around 93 era and before that. Um, this is what when the world is well into the, the first death metal uh, you know Renaissance or whatever you want to call it that yeah. you know disincarnate is out effigy of the Forgotten is out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Death uh, individual thought patterns came out in 93. So uh, my speculation is that Slayer sat down and wrote an album that was competitive with this style of technical intricate metal you know mm-hmm. not to mention um, what bands like Testament and Exodus were doing. Uh, I just think that Slayer they they came out in the 80s, They were pioneers in heavy metal they influenced a lot of black metal and death metal and grindcore but now in this era of 93 slayer's been around roughly a decade uh they've put out albums uh now they they came back really hard with divine intervention in my opinion because they came back with something that could compete with technical death metal of that era Mm -hmm. i think that's a good theory um this divine intervention album i hadn't listened to this in probably over 10 years And I found this cassette. By the way, I believe I'm the only one to have brought the physical copy in the studio tonight. It's true. It's my (laughs) uh, red-labeled cassette, very fashionable. I I don't... Adam, did you give this to me?
3: No, I don't think
2: so. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think this is... This is probably, like, the only tape I own that Adam didn't give me. Um, Adam, Adam and I traded a lot. I've talked about that back in the 90s. But this... I do believe that I bought this probably from Tower Records then. Because uh, th- th- um, something was telling me in my mind when I was looking through my, my one of my many boxes of tapes last night, and I found this uh, that either Adam gave it to me back in the day because it was like post Lombardo era and it was weak to you, or something. like that. No, it like really that. wasn't
3: actually. I actually had. <laughs> no, truthfully, actually, I I had the tape. I think I just lost my copy and got it on CD like when I couldn't find the tape.
2: Allegedly lost the tape, man. Uh oh. Uh oh, does this look familiar? <laughs> yeah, <it> might, <laughs> oh, man. That,
3: that might have been a loan I never got back. You never know. I don't
2: know, man. <laughs> you're, well, you're definitely not getting it back now because I fucking love it, man. It's um, uh, all
3: right. I have it again. So you, you can have it if that's true anyway.
2: Thanks, man. I'll, I'll buy you the vinyl if I ever catch it, man. Um, yeah, this is because this is, this is right here. This is me and Adam, man. We would just give stuff back and forth to each other. Trades. I'll give you this CD. Next week, you give me this tape, man. You know, that's how yeah. it was back in the day. Um, but I, yeah, so the the origin of this tape, we don't know, uh, whether it's Adams or mine or Tower Records, whatever, but, uh, I just want to encourage anybody, I brought up, um, uh, you know, a a lot of different technical death metal albums from back in the day, old death albums, Disincarnate, uh, you know, this, this is something you want to go back and check out, because this is the masters of extreme metal, kind of coming back and staying competitive and modern for that era, Mm. uh, Divine Intervention, an underrated Slayer album, in my personal opinion, man check out these riffs
3: yeah and I was really impressed with this one too because like Rain and Blood is still my favorite but I think this one's really close because as much as I like South to Heaven and Seasons in the Abyss was my introduction to them that's kind of to me where they were like slowing down a little bit like, Yeah, they, they're there's... still heavy but not as heavy and this like I heard all the hype before this came out how it was going to be like all oh, the return to Rain and Blood and I, I don't 100% agree but I think it's like as far as heaviness and stuff like that I think it's pretty
2: close Yes, absolutely, and um, I would just say that I think that this is maybe like more of their like uh, modern for that era death metal album, whereas some of their other material might have influenced what would become black metal more. This is, you know, Divine Intervention is a very death metal album, you know. So this is again, man, it's not. I I could go on all night, but I really love this Slayer album.
3: Yeah, I do too. I I was definitely impressed by it. I will, I will not deny it.
1: (laughs) Awesome. I wonder if this is. Unfair or fair of me to say, and especially with the first track we listened to off this record, I wonder what the Cowboys from Hell influence was mm. during the writing
2: of this. Oh yeah, mm. J. Wall coming in, man. What year was uh, Cowboys yeah, again?
1: Ninety-two, ninety-two.
2: I'm not gonna say I I don't like that speculation, but you're not wrong for speculating that. Yeah, yeah, that you just kind of like you blew my little house of cards over in my head about this. With <laughs> by saying that, but we'll see, yeah, you never know, man. You could you could absolutely be right.
1: It you know what? It was in the water for true metal bands. Something coming we, around in the nineties. We know? might have to
2: yeah. drag the waters some more so on that one.
1: So Cowboys from Hell is nineteen ninety. Right? Okay, okay.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's marinating sitting wow. in there.
2: Cowboys from Hell is nineteen ninety alone. Hard for me to
1: wrap my head around. But okay. Cowboys from right. Hell,
2: and then a year later, Effigy of the Forgotten comes out. How do we get to that in metal? That's crazy.
1: Right? And then 92 was Vulgar, also. Yeah. Yeah. So, All right. you know, I could just see maybe, like, if there's a little label pressure, you know, rather than Slayer fully rebelling. I they go. Okay, well, the two the, the bands did
0: tour together. We had, yeah. we, uh, when we were younger, we had that, uh, you, you had bought that Pantera DVD. Um, it's like a documentary. Oh, yeah. And, sure, yeah, yeah, And then uh, they... they talked about that a lot like Phil was talking about how Dime like talking to Kerry King and like the the, the exchange of ideas you yeah. know for these like oh, yes. two guitar monsters you know Slayer mm-hmm. and Pantera in the 90s were
2: kind of like Rihanna and Akon in the two th- I, I don't like they just, they just I don't know the compare but they went together very well in the 90s Slayer and Pantera yeah. I don't know I have to, I have three sisters <clears throat> I'll have to ask yeah or oh no what no no, no. I actually I got it cuz this is more from my generation Slayer and Pantera in the 90s were kind of like Ja Rule and J-Lo in the early 2000s. Oh, okay. Baby. Because they were both (laughs) real, all right? The way they (laughs) talked, the way they walked. All right, guys, come on. Slayer's Divine Intervention album, don't fuck around. Get the riffs in your head. Agreed. Okay, so Heavy Hole Podcast, uh, Adam Rotella. Thank you so much for joining us this evening and sharing uh, your your experience and your story with us, man. We really appreciate it. Um, we I I feel like already I say this a lot, but we might have to have a do uh, part two with you, man. Um, we had uh, listeners requesting you, uh, you know, be on the podcast after your first appearance. So actually, maybe like a part two point five or three, whatever that ends up being, man. But definitely got to get you back, man. Uh, anything uh, to, to say to your fans, your listeners, your detractors, people who just heard about you?
3: Uh, first, I'd just like to, to thank you guys for having me on again. I, I, I really did have a good time. Uh, to any friends and fans, I just want to say, you know, sorry I haven't been that that active lately. I'm just starting to get back into it. But, you know, my love for Grind and Noise will be forever. Like, uh I just want to say to anybody, you know, just anybody who wants to contact me, at yahoo.com I, I answer every message as quick as I possibly can.
2: Yeah, I was going to say you no longer have any social media presence or anything like that, right? No. Okay. Smart move. Uh, especially because you're getting married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and congratulations, by the way. You did mention uh, your fiancé and you moved in. Uh, shout out to her and, uh, you know, shout out to you guys. Man, that's awesome, man. Congratulations on that. Uh, and good luck with your uh, movie endeavors, uh, making your movies, man. Well, obviously, we're going to keep the listeners uh, abreast of all that. And, um, uh, you know, just thanks again, Adam, man. We really appreciate having you on the show, man. Adam Rotella, uh, formerly of Anal Birth, uh, currently uh Hollywood filmmaker. Love
3: yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, deep underbelly Hollywood, if, if, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. <laughs> but thanks a lot, guys, for having me, and thanks, everybody, for listening, and everybody who's... Supported my uh, horrific noise over the years. You're all appreciated, and
2: uh, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Uh And um, if people want to get in touch with us, uh, they have more <laughs> options than just email. The email is heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. Correct. But we uh, we do still offer social media options, such as Twitter, yep, mm-hmm. Instagram, they got that. Facebook. Check us out on all three of those mediums. Uh, and if somebody were to uh, want to leave an angry voicemail, how could you have that obscene guy with his anal birth all over your podcast? You know, what's the number they would call? Why don't you uh,
0: leave, leave your anger at 631 uh, 837 3274?
1: Tom, what if I was using like a rotary phone? Like, what numbers would I put in?
0: Oh, okay. Let oh, me do boy. that again 631 837 3274. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same. Yeah. Alright, so uh, we also have an announcement We have launched a Patreon So That's right. if you're into what we're doing And you want to help us out um, We have a Patreon Patreon.com slash Podcast. Right now we have two tiers The first tier is uh, Just helping us out, it's two bucks We'll shout your name out on the podcast uh we'll we'll relay a message, you know, if you want to tell your wife you love her or something like that yeah, on the podcast. Sure. We'll we'll do that on there. And then the next tier is the uh the alleged league where you pay $5 a month and you'll get the bonus episode on top of the shout out.
2: Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Thank you very much. By the way, uh, these funds that we're raising—it's not just to buy uh, Jay Wall nice flat brim hats and tattoos. Yeah, uh, it's—it's not just to buy me new socks for when I go on tour. It's
1: not only to buy that. Yeah, yeah, it is for those things.
2: (laughs) But in addition, uh, you know, we're going to try to raise funds so we can go to uh, you know out of state events. And cover them for you. Uh, we're going to try to do other things with the podcast and get out of town a little bit. We've done a few like in-the-field reports, and we're just going to try to expand on that, maybe try to get to some festivals and all, all sorts of stuff like that, man. So we're not just trying to make money all willy-nilly out here and pay our bills on your dime, all right?
0: Yeah. So thanks for listening, and... Uh, One. Yeah. That's it.